0: the top players and legends,
1: to the very best analysts around the world, from wherever the beautiful game is played, this is BTP. Now, we're talking football. Yes, hello folks, welcome to another episode of the Pitch. I know you always spoke right and I am ecstatic to be joined here with fellow Belfast boy, uh, Paul McVeigh, magnificent young man. Uh, of course, we grew up, you know, I grew up in North Belfast. Paul, he grew up in Belfast also, an anti-town fellow up the west, Played um, for Albert Plunkett. Um, I knew Paul's manager very, very well, Jackie. And um, uh, Paul, I think, Paul, you're two years younger than me. What are do you doing now? Are you 40? I'm 42. Oh, so you're a year younger than me? We probably played against yeah. each other, you know, because uh, I played against Plunkett. Were you in the same team as Brandy McNamee in, in all the ones? Or... No, so
0: he was a year older than me. So right, I was, I my, my, plunk, my plunker
1: team was uh, Phil and people like that. Right. right so I, I remember watching Phil Molina playing for LaSalle, but um, I think it was Solitude in the final. Um, whenever LaSalle won, when he played for his school football team, but I played a year above. He played for Brandy me and we maxed in all of them, some players, some, what a fantastic football club. And of course, Paul, you went on to play professional football for Spurs, Norwich, um, fantastic career yourself. And now you have done something that is truly wonderful because it transcends sport. You're a keynote speaker where you get into sports psychology, but psychology in general transcends life, transcends sport. It it applies to people in their everyday life. um, And someone who's had to use it themselves and interface that or intersect that with philosophy and other things that have been really, really helpful to me. Um, I can't speak highly enough of it so uh, Paul tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now mate.
0: so it's uh, obviously slightly different in the current situation with lockdown but I suppose prior to lockdown for the last 10 years after finishing my professional playing days with uh, Norwich City and Tottenham Hotspur I became a keynote speaker because the probably the main reason and again this is my opinion there's no there's no kind of pure factness is more my opinion that I think the reason why I had a, a long-term career in professional football which you know I would probably consider it maybe the most ruthless and the most competitive industry on the planet because of so many young men all around especially around you know Ireland all around the UK whenever we were growing up wanted to be professional footballers then you just add into the mix all of the kids around the world yep. who want to be professional footballers and don't just want to do it in their country like like we didn't ever want to go over to England playing the Premier League because you know it's the richest and probably the most prestigious league in the world. So that's why I think it's just so competitive. So I really truly believe the reason why I had that nearly twenty year career was down in my mans- my mindset. And that was through a whole host of things. You know, there's there's loads of factors and tenets of why that could be the case. But I would just broadly open up the conversation to say that it wasn't down to my technical ability, because you know, I, I was an okay player, but you know, we just mentioned Phil Montrine, who played for Manchester United and, and was just an outstanding player. And he he was, you know, I thought technically he was far superior to me. So technically I was never the best player in the team, physically. You know, I'm only five feet six, you know, one sixty-seven centimetres, mm-hmm. and, and so physically I was never an athlete of of any note. But I, I honestly keep going back to the, this psychology or mental performance aspect of, of why I had that long-term career compared to other people who, who had way more physically and technically and didn't.
1: It's really interesting to say that because I've been looking at this myself and I've been looking at what goes into uh, a kid's mindset, especially when you get into sports and other aspects of life. And what is it that leads to a positive mindset um, and what is it that leads to a negative? I know that... Speaking, you mentioned something about um, self belief and everything. I know that whenever I was a kid growing up, and I would, uh, the higher I went in sports, the greater my imposter syndrome became, where I felt mm-hmm. like I didn't belong at these levels. Mm-hmm. And I would see people, not meaning to blow me on trumpet, but weren't as good as me, but but were totally comfortable in that environment and were an excel in that environment where I felt like, you know, I'm a wee lad from. North Belfast. I didn't come from anything. I don't belong here. And that has actually carried on through my business life. Whenever I've achieved success, I've almost put down the success, the accident um, and and the failure as being something that I own completely. And I've worked really, really hard to try to get out of that mindset. But there's no question, Paul, those people who succeed uh, are people who expect success, believing that they, they will be successful and Almost manifest those outcomes. Um, what is it that gives people? Because um, obviously, human psychology is incredibly complex. But are there key factors that lead into the kids developing negative mindsets versus a positive? Completely.
0: There, there are probably innumerable uh, measures or factors that do add into the mix. And and I've been talking about this quite a lot recently, and even just reflected on it through lockdown of. You know, kind of. You sometimes you just sit back and take stock of what's happened. And one of the interviews that I did recently, I was talking to the Telegraph, um, one of the football writers of the Telegraph newspaper in England, and and they were saying how you know what what kind of led you down this route. And and one of the things that I would say that even just having uh, a road model of of my dad growing up and his enthusiasm for learning. So I'm sure you would have come across, you know. Things like Encyclopedia Britannica yep. were probably these door-to-door salesmen, men, women, made a fortune just going around the houses selling in these, you know, these twenty-six different books. You know, a to z of all <laughs> pr- pr- yep. prior to Google. And um, and I remember just my dad sitting in the living room one night, and and this has happened many times, and he'd just get up from wherever he was sitting at the table or at the on the sofa, go and grab a book, whatever book off the shelf, grab one of these encyclopedias open it up at a random page, start reading, and he was just like, oh, that's really interesting. Here, Paul, come on. And he'd bring me over, and then he started going, look at that!" Isn't it? And whether it was like the distance to the sun or the speed of light or whatever it happened to be, the way he would just kind of share it made me think, oh, that's really interesting. Wow, the, the universe is so massive, and we're such a tiny You know, the, just these things yeah. where it was his enthusiasm going, look at that. And he's like, isn't it amazing? Now you can just pick up this book and just read that one little paragraph and just completely change, you know, your knowledge on that subject. So... That was getting drip fed into me through his enthusiasm for learning and then all the other different factors that happened through my life, such as the school, luckily the school that I went to, you know, the, kind of the, the genes that I had from my parents that mm-hmm. to have the capacity to learn as well as all the way through to whenever I arrived at Tottenham Hotspur in 1994, um, a friend of mine who I went to school with to Mary's on the Glen Road in Belfast and, and his brother-in-law gave me a book in 1995, I think it was a year after i had been there. And it was by Tony Robbins, who yep. of course you're going to know, but if yep. anyone know Tony Robbins, you know, he's probably the most successful personal development guru on the planet, you know, almost, almost a billionaire from it. Mm-hmm. And I read a book by Tony Robbins in 1995 and it completely changed the trajectory of my life because like you said, that imposter syndrome, I probably had that because on my first day of training with Spurs, Adam Hotspur in 1994 was just after the World Cup in the USA, and of course Spurs signed Jurgen Klinsmann, Linsman, of Pepescu, all of
1: those players. Yeah. Yeah. So my
0: so my first training session I was, was with Jurgen Klinsmann, yeah. and I'm standing next to Jurgen Klinsmann with this West West Belfast mentality of you know <laughs> probably other people are better than me and Irish compared to the English probably didn't think as us as good. Mm-hmm. Standing next to a World Cup winner who yeah. pretty much looked, looked like a movie star, and mm-hmm. I'm just thinking there is no way in the world I'm ever going to be a first-team footballer at Tottenham Hotspur because that's what you need to be. And suddenly, you know, hold on, mm because that's that's, that's the sort of starting point. And then a year later, I read this book by Tony Robbins, and it was a bit like, although it was probably a five to 600 page book, you know, really, Mm -hmm. really chunky book on personal development. But if you wanted to condense it all down, you could probably describe it in one line that the message in the book was, stop looking outside of yourself Yeah, because everything you will ever need in life you've already mm-hmm. got within you. Mm-hmm. So true. And that's so powerful for such a young guy trying to, you mm-hmm. know, go off and make a name and, in, in, as I said, one of the most competitive industries in the planet.
1: Well, especially when you juxtapose that with the environment with which British and Irish kids grow up in which is typically cynical and we're growing up with the mentality of never expect never dream you're never going to be anything you know uh, temper your dreams temper your expectations and one of the things that I do notice about Americans um, they're much more optimistic people even see this in their athletes now we're starting to change quite a bit I think this was evident you've seen in boxers for example or other individual sports where American athletes would be quite Mm brash, and they would teach their athletes to expect success where we were always trying to be humble and go in there with a, you know, I've got a puncher's chance at anything in life. Yeah. And, and, and that, 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 that shows up in people's work. But just on the Jürgen Klinsman story, Jürgen Klinsmann ended up moving out here to Southern California. And one, yeah. of the, one of the very first games that I played in Sunday league, Jürgen Klinsmann was playing actually. And uh, (laughs) I played against him. It was really, really interesting, right? What was really, really interesting was everyone's trying to show off. And, uh, you know, he's playing at a half pace. Some guy clatters, this guy, and uh, just gets up and walks away. And it was his own player. And he grabbed him and made him apologize and everything. But what was interesting to me was no matter what the level Jürgen Klinsmann was playing at, he was always setting an example of, of brilliance, of good habits, of, and he would, I remember him talking at halftime, we were all trying to listen and you know, and it wasn't about anything to do with football. He was teaching yeah. these players about things, about life, about habits, about getting up in the morning, about how you positive routines, about making your bed, about doing little things. Cause he would talk to these players about at length, about their life. And everyone just wanted to sit and listen because, um, you would expect, oh, this guy's going to talk about all these different football tactics and everything else, but you know he didn't. He didn't do any of that. He was talking to his players about good habits and uh, about personality, about character. Um, so Tony Robbins, which is quite interesting, because I want to make make a relation to Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, of course, talks a lot about Tony Robbins, yeah, uh, okay. and 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 has talked a lot about. He done, he done a terrific interview with Tony Robbins, which was quite interesting for me, um, and he talked about. Believe it, speak it into existence, and um, do the things every day that will bring it into your life. Stop believing that you can't have certain things, you can't accomplish certain things. Are you a believer, Paul, in, you know, we've, we see this New Age stuff with the secret and everything else, of believing something, speaking it into existence, then doing the things every day to bring that into your life?
0: Yeah, so the, the the reason why this is uh, so aligned with what I do is because when I read that book from Tony Robbins 25 years ago, I started on this different journey or path that probably most young footballers weren't going on because I went from, I'm never going to be a footballer standing next to Jürgen clinsman because mm-hmm. if that's what it takes, I could never get there, to suddenly, how can I improve? How can I get better? How can I start maximizing what I have to offer and I know it didn't have the physical capacities of loads of the other people on the team and the technical but I thought what about if I just used my mindset and my psychology because that's what most people weren't taking advantage of Mm -hmm. and so once I started going down that route then I came across things like goal setting which I've never ever done before things like understanding about psycholinguistics and understanding just how powerful what we say to ourselves and others and then understanding the the huge you know crucial nature of our beliefs and our belief system and understanding that's that's the other side even just understanding what our beliefs are which probably i would say most people don't Mm -hmm. and then whenever you start going into this because because this was such a fascinating world for me I, i was just reading so many books on educate myself you know doing my degree in, in sports science would have the psychology in it, then going off and doing you know uh, courses on emotional intelligence and then all the way through to in the last couple of years doing my masters in sports psychology. It's because it's the most interesting thing in my life in terms of I love how the more I invest in me, the more I learn and develop and sort of increase my knowledge base, the better quality of life I live. And that started from reading that book. So that was like the almost like the spark in 1995 when I read that book. And so when you talk about Tony Robbins, you know, whatever you think of Tony Robbins, and loads of people don't like Tony Robbins for whatever reason, I just know that reading that book put me down a journey of, okay, let's, let's be interested in how I can improve. Let's understand curiosity, continuous improvement, growth mindset versus fixed mindset, all of these things. And just suddenly come across Carol Dweck's work and and then suddenly trying to understand how, well, what what is it that the philosophers talk about this? And then how how can that apply in the sports psychology? And then actually, how does this apply to the everyday person in the street? Because this isn't just about elite performance and that's whenever you suddenly think, well, okay, Rhonda Rhonda Byrne, who, who wrote the secret, whenever she's talking about, you know, we need to think about this and manifest stuff. Well, that's one way to go down this route. Mm-hmm. I'm at the other end of the spectrum because I don't sit there thinking, hoping this comes to me. Right. I'm a kind of, I get off my backside and go and try and make it happen in whatever way I can do. Because I know there's loads of things that I can't influence, but I'm also really aware there's loads of things that I can influence. And I've really, truly believed that the goals that I've set myself over the last 25 years, it's because of my hard work like you said, focusing on what I want to happen rather than Mm -hmm. hoping that it all doesn't go wrong. Again, because this is what the best people in the world and what I would consider the most successful people. This is how they operate. This is what they do. And this is the reason why they're in this top 1% versus the 99% of people who sort of dream about happening, but never actually happens for you.
1: Well, it's funny you say, Paul, because um, I left Glen High School and uh, I didn't have a single examination of my name. I failed everything. I failed every GCSE. I actually failed PE. PE was my best result. It was a D. Uh, it was an absolutely disgraceful academic performance. And um, I didn't really understand the consequences of that. But if you have told me when I left Glen Gormley High School, and by no means am I um, blowing my own trumpet here, but what I do want to um, pay homage to the mindset that got me here was when you're 42 years of age, you'll be sitting in Los Angeles, owning a couple of different businesses, owning an agency that represents some of the biggest design manufacturers across the United States, having one of the top podcasts in the world, being able to interview high-end athletes in boxing, high-end athletes in football, and accomplishing things that I felt belonged to someone else. Um, I would have never believed you. I mean, it, it it just would have seemed so utterly ridiculous. But I would, what I realized is, in order for me to accomplish something, the first thing I have to do is believe that I can accomplish it. Um, because if I don't believe it, I'll never do the things that it takes to get there. And I think that's true of anything. Um, so, But it's not enough just to believe. Then you have to do the things. But one of the things that, that I found out was... Obviously, it's great to get the accomplishment, but the journey itself is also something you should cherish. And I was getting addicted to the small victories, right? The little accomplishments on the way that built the mountain. So let's say I wanted to uh, have one of the top podcasts in the world. Well, to do that, I needed to have high-end guests after high-end guests and accomplish certain goals. And when I would get one guest, it was amazing, two, three, four, all these little things on the way. That, um, that 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 helped me get where I wanted to go. The journey's been unbelievable, but uh, I I I just found that if I had have started out with the mindset that that, that so many do that I, I'll never be anything, I still wouldn't have any of what I have. Uh, and I'm not talking about material success. The, the the emotional success of accomplishing these things has brought so much richness to my life. Um, but I had to get out of the the negative mentality of. I'll never be anything. So there's no question that, in my opinion, psychology is, I mean, we, we live in a thought-responsive universe. Without psychology, without the belief that you can accomplish something, nothing happens. And um, so I agree with you that it's not enough just to believe it, but it helps you, you know, goals without plans are are just dreams, you know? So they're, they're, you have to put things in place. So I think it's we're now living in a world where, Fortune 500 companies or anyone for that matter is recognizing the importance, especially with the different one talking about mental health of psychiatry and psychology and how important it is to have the right mindset to accomplish anything in life.
0: Yeah, and and I think that 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 probably is the reason why whenever I, for the last 10 years, have been speaking to different businesses and organizations and very fortunate, like you're saying, you know I'm, I'm not just doing this around the uk and ireland i'm doing this around the mm-hmm. world and, and an example of of just doing that in the last in the last couple of weeks i just delivered a my keynote to microsoft uh to 150 people across australia Asia, and you know whenever 10 years ago when i was coming out of professional football and i'm thinking who would want to listen to me say anything who would pay me even one dollar to go and do you know to go and do a keynote speech? because again my belief as a professional football player was there, I knew I was competent and knew I was capable, but I had no confidence, no belief that I could do it as a keynote speaker. But of course, I, what I do understand is the process and the process of elite performance, and that means you start out at the bottom because it's impossible to be the best at anything when you're in the first step. But I understand the process and know that, okay, I don't have to be the best when I first start this but what I really do understand is what am I trying to achieve? The clarity of what I wanted to do was I wanted to be a global keynote speaker 10 years ago, and it's taken me seven years to do that. And the fact that, you know, with the whole pandemic and and with lockdown happening, I was, I had three tours lined up of, I should have done a speaking tour of America, Asia, and Australia, all in, in April, May, and June, and they've all been pushed away. And that's because it doesn't happen by chance. And as going back to Tony Robbins, like you've said a couple of Tony Robbins quotes and lines that I've heard him say before, but you know, success leaves clues. So because I'm not the first person ever to be a keynote speaker, although unbelievably, and I still can't get my head around this, I think I'm the only keynote speaker from the whole world of football, which I don't, I can't really get my kind of head around it because when I looked into this 10 years ago, I saw rugby players, I saw Olympians, I saw adventures, explorers, and, people from the military and and academics. And I was thinking, but hold on a minute. You know, football and soccer is the number one sport in the UK. It's the number one sport in the world in terms of of people that play it. So why aren't the keynote speakers from the world of football? And I saw that gap in the market 10 years ago. And what I'm doing is just sharing those principles, those, you know, that framework and all of the, the, the factors that helped me do what i did in my professional sport and then whenever i come in and stand up in front of 150 people from whether it's engineers salespeople, work in the medical profession or pharmaceutical profession and you know the, the easiest way to, to sort of get them engaged and get them involved in it is to say but is it just elite sportsmen and women need to perform to an elite level every single day well no of course not because every single person who's in that organization has a K- kpi you know, a goal, objective, a target, whatever they're working towards. So it's not just about sportsmen and women performing. It's every single person in their job performing. Well, if you want to understand performance, well, I've had 25 years of that, so let me help. And let, when I say the technical aspect of doing your job, just to get in the, into the company, just to get into the room, as we used to say, in, or just to get into the changing room, as we used to say in football, you know, that's that's just a given. Everybody should be technically able to do the job, But if everybody's technically equally qualified, why isn't there parity across levels of performance? And then that's when you start going, oh, so Mm -hmm. there's other factors and what's probably the biggest differential? Well, in my humble experience, it's all to do with the mindset and psychology, but I call that mental performance because as soon as you talk about psychology, people think you're talking about someone in a white coat and go and see a psychologist when something's going wrong, as opposed to my definition of why I use psychology is because... I'm performing to whatever level I am across different areas of my life, whether it's in my professional life, in my financial life, in my health, in my fitness, in my personal relationships. I'm just performing whatever that level is, but the way that I view it is, how can I use my psychology to improve those different areas of performance?
1: So Paul, let's say you're the average individual, you're sitting at home, um, you're not happy where you're at in your life, maybe you're at the start of a career, maybe you're smack bang in the middle of a career, there's certain things you want to change, where do you start, where do you say to an individual, this is where you start, this is where, this is the first book you pick up, the first podcast you listen to, the first habits you integrate into your life, what do you say to someone who's sitting right now listening to this going, I want to make changes but I don't really know how to make them?
0: Well, I suppose I, I would never tell anybody to do anything. I would never tell them to read a book, do a course, listen to anything, because that's, that's not my position. You know, it's who am I to tell someone else how to live their lives? So that's, that's I would never, I would never do that because it's just not my philosophy or, or not in my kind of, uh, I suppose, I I suppose because you know as we're like growing up in Belfast you don't like people telling you what to do (laughs) so maybe I have a problem with authority like probably a lot of people do so I would never want to tell someone like I would want someone else telling me but if you were going to say how have I done it what are some of the things that I've done that helped me on my journey over the last 25 years of professional football and 10 years as a keynote speaker well I would say if you wanted to decide in your life, what are the things that you really, really want as in what's really clear for you, this is what I'm working towards and then decide upon that. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, what are some of the things that you're really, really clear that you either don't want, you won't tolerate, you want to reduce, you want to restrict or completely eradicate from your life. Because this is, this sort of comes back to the the very first question. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're speaking in front of any audience, you know, you'd say that most people, like you said, if somebody's not happy in a certain area of their life, well, they have to be comparing it to something. So if they're not happy with this, because they want this. So, so my, my question would be, so what's this? And another right. a simpler, simpler way to describe that is maybe is, well, what does success look like for you?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And if whenever you ask that to an audience, I've done this, you know, oh, of, really because good. of do these so many times, when you ask this to an audience and you have the ability to get that feedback, um, as opposed to when I did that one for Microsoft last week and you have 150 people off video on mute. Yeah. <laughs> the, feed, the feedback the feedback loop doesn't really come in as much. Right. But but when they ask the question, so, so what does success look like for you? Honestly, you would be amazed how people's eyes suddenly hit the floor. Yeah. Their head goes down. They don't look in the eye because they're a bit like, do you know what? I don't really know. I know. And I'm sitting looking at people going, it's okay, so tell me what's your definition of success. And I'm not mm-hmm. judging them. I'm not trying to make them feel uncomfortable, although it's probably a good process to get people into sure. that uncomfortable stage because you know, that helps you with your growth. Of course. But as soon as you ask them that, you know, occasionally you might get someone who's a wee smart. I like at the back of the room and go, um, success for me is achieving my goals. And I'm like, okay, brilliant. Taxberg answer. Cause that's, I hear that every now and again. Mm-hmm. So, so what goals do you have? And at that point, that's whenever the feet start shuffling again. The head goes down. The eyes go to the floor, because yeah. so many people have so little clarity. And this is only in my experience of asking this question to rooms full of people over the last ten years. So you ask them, "So what is it you actually want?" And most people are like, "Don't really know."
1: It's a I've very. very thinking, uh, I, I would probably
0: say the same. Go ahead. Well, I'm surprised that you'd say that because that this is you know, the reason why you're doing what you're doing is because I would put you into the category of somebody who's really clear what you're trying to do with your life.
1: I have an abstract view of what I want. Um, okay. And so this is personally why I don't have, maybe this is why I struggle with certain things because I if you, if you say to me what do I want in life, I'm going to give you textbook answers. I'm going to say I want... Um, I I want my health. I want my children to be raised in in an environment where they're safe, where they're embracing positive things in life and some financial security. I don't need to be wealthy, but, um, but in terms of professional goals, um, I don't even know if I want to be doing what I'm doing right now in five years. I don't know. I I, I'm really aimless with that. And it's not, it's not, I'm not something I'm I'm, I'm positive or or proud of. It's, uh, I I have a really bizarre. I I I can get clear, really clear focus and make enormous progress, and then it gets handicapped by distraction, by not sure where I want to go. Because, um, you know, it's like I think it was John Lennon said, uh, "Life is what happens when you're making plans." You know, you have an idea of where you want to go, and then all of a sudden, all these things happen, distract you, mm-hmm. and take you away from that. And um, yeah, so that I, I I I honestly don't know what I want because I've I've never really. They're abstract answers, but not, and that's probably why I'm all over the place.
0: Well, does that that then, could that be an initial either nudge, push, kick up the backside that maybe some people need to get them thinking about it? Because even if I ask that question, they might not have the answer, but like you just said, maybe you might be sitting there after this podcast later on today and you might be thinking, that's a really good question. Yeah. Maybe I should start thinking about the answer to that. It's time I knew and, and,
1: some answers to that. I agree. Sorry. But
0: but it's all it's also, Phil, you would put it because I'm always doing this in the corporate world because you're always standing up in front of 250, 500 people mm-hmm. from a business organisation, and I would say, well, let's just let's just put it this way. Another way to try and come across this is is to say, okay, who would have goals or targets for the workplace? You know, and if you're standing in front of a, I don't know kpmg or sure. a, i don't know astrazeneca or whoever you're speaking in front of mm-hmm. I and mean, you're standing in front of these people <clears throat> who has goals or targets in the workplace every single hand in the room is putting their hand up okay because sure, of course no one's kind of like just kind of you know like <laughs> waltzing through the office you know not a car in the world they're not just nobody's doing that right everyone's like on the next thing on the next right. thing right and right okay right hands down okay so now please put your hand up if you have well thought out well-constructed, and this is the key to all of this, written down goals or targets for your personal life. And when you ask that, the 100 people, 250, 500 people, you might get two people in the room, possibly, three at an absolute push to say, yep, I've got some really clear, written down goals or targets for my personal life. And at that, it's not for me to judge, because like I said earlier, who am I to tell anybody what to do with their life? I suppose all I want to do, if, this is the area that I'm working in. Is maybe just start to nudge and cajole, and maybe just ask certain questions that might help people spark them do something. Because I'd mm-hmm. say, well, what do most people consider the most important thing in their life, their work life or their personal life? Mm-hmm. And again, some people really do value their work life more. But again, on my experience, on average, 99% of the people of prefer and, and think that their personal life is the most important oh, part of their life. And I'm going, but if you have all these goals and targets to your work life, which is nowhere near as important as your personal life, then possibly is this something we might want to be working on? And if that's, that's something point. you do want to be working on, well then that's where we start working with uh, the businesses and start taking them through a 12-month program that we can, that we can do. Because it's just all I'm doing is taking this framework of how to get to the very, very top of what keeps them the most competitive and ruthless industry on the planet, which is why this is applicable, And I don't know why I've ended up working in in the financial services so much, but it's either financial services or technology or professional services seem to be the three biggest areas and industries that I work in, but probably because they're, you know, maybe the greatest pressure, you know, because like these, you know, hedge fund managers, financial services, guys, and girls, you know, they are, they're dealing with billions and billions of pounds and dollars in currency and they feel like they're really under pressure. And I'm going, I really get that. I really mm-hmm, understand yeah. when it's like every single day we're working under pressure because I had it for 25 years. And right. I said, probably what you don't have is 50,000 people telling you that you're rubbish and, right. <laughs> and that right. you can't do the job, you know, whenever yeah. you're walking off the pitch, if you've had a bad performance. Right. But again, it's, it's that I can understand that, I can empathize with that, but I can also show you how to perform it at that elite level because there is a certain framework and there's a certain methodology that the people who get to that level that's what they do. And the people who struggle and never don't seem to quite get there, they have a completely different way of thinking and acting and behaving.
1: Let me ask you, Paul, about what is the biggest impediment to having this mindset? Is it um maybe you grew up in poverty, so therefore you have a, a poor self-image of yourself and, and, and you have really limited expectations? Is it internal dialogue? Um, is it academics? What is the biggest impediment for someone? to develop a mindset that uh, will bring about success?
0: I think I would say it's the, the unconscious incompetence of it. Because if you aren't aware that you don't know about this stuff, then it's almost impossible unless someone like my friend, who his brother-in-law in 1995, pretty much comes across, hits me across the head with this Tony Robbins book and goes, read that. And because at that time I had that unconscious incompetence of how my mindset is going to be the single best thing I could ever work on in my life. And suddenly I read this book, which as you say, for a 17 year old kid to be reading this five, 600 page book, you know, it was quite unusual anyway, but then it also probably had something to do with my open mindedness, which again, I might've picked up from my dad, but who knows how these things work. And at that stage, I was like, do you know what? I really need to be doing something like this. But I was very aware that I didn't have the tools to do it. So one of the first things I did was I went and started seeing a sports psychologist after I finished reading that book. Not because my career was going downhill at Spurs, because within 12 months, I'd actually made my debut in the Premier League and scored up front with Teddy Sheridan. and mm-hmm. And so I was actually doing quite well in the team. But my decision after reading that book was, I need to improve my mindset and my psychology. How can I do that? Right, I'm going to go and see a sports psychologist because I'm going to do something that other people aren't doing or what I wasn't aware that other people were doing. So that was the first thing. And then it was things like I started doing visualization, started doing yoga from 25 years ago yeah. because I was starting to think ahead as a 17-year-old. And I was seeing people like... You remember Gary Mabbitt, the Spurs captain? Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Like,
0: Gary Mabbitt's an absolute, yeah. So, you know what an absolute legend of the oh game is, you know, 600, 700 games mm-hmm. for Spurs. Just a had And he had diabetic, and he was a yes. diabetic as well. So, even yeah. just playing in the yeah. 80s with, with those conditions so well, did so well. But I remember seeing him as a 16 year old kid in the Spurs physio room. And I'm not joking, as a probably 35, 36 year old guy, he used to get onto the physio table, the physio used to strap him up you know, hit him with tablets, crack his back, manipulate, all this stuff for about 40 minutes just to get him out onto the pitch. And I remember sitting there looking at him going, I never want to end up like that. Right. You know, it's it's amazing He's played all those games for Spurs and he's lifted the FA Cup and an absolute hero for the club. Yeah, of course. But his body is broken. Yeah. And I don't know why, even as a 16-year-old kid, I could see that when you retire, and least 35-year-old grown men, older men, you know, I still realised, that's still really young in the bigger picture. And I'm going to have another Mm -hmm. 50, 60 years if I'm lucky. And I don't want my body to be broken for 50 or 60 years. So I was thinking, what can I do now so that I don't end up like that? And one of the things I did was I had a conversation with my mom and she suggested I should try yoga. I've started doing it 25 years ago and I left football 10 years ago, completely energy free. And I decided to retire rather than football retiring me. Mm -hmm. But that's the kind of things where I'm thinking, it's because I'm reading that book and my eyes and my whole kind of you know, horizons were broadened from reading this book. So I started to apply these, I suppose it's that framework that Tony Robbins talked about so that I could help me get the most out of me.
1: You know, it's interesting you say these things, Paul, because um, as I said before, I've been quite open about my depression and uh, my mental health issues, my addiction issues, which I dealt with years ago. Um, and when I looked at, how I helped myself. So much of it was down to a lot of what was framed within uh, Buddhism and uh, uh, and, uh, spirituality, I suppose, uh, if you want to call it that. I would listen to Alan Watts, and so much of it was about how I reframe thoughts uh, and how I deal with them so that they didn't manifest, so they didn't uh, negative, self-destructive things and really understanding the power of the mind and uh, realizing that if I change my internal dialogue, that so much could happen on the outside. When I started to approach things from an expectation of success rather than failure. I started to be more successful naturally. As a result, I started to relieve a lot of pressure off myself um, because I no longer feared negative outcomes in life. I started to embrace positive outcomes in life and started to expect positive outcomes in life. So, what I would used to do is I would sit on the settee, maybe, and say, God, in three years, in three months, I could be in prison. I could be doing anything. Whatever darkness that I could potentially speculate, um, that became a reality. And I changed that from well, maybe in three months I could be doing something truly exceptional and let's work towards that. So obviously I'm sure you're aware of neuroplasticity and all the other things mm-hmm. that are that are that um, because psychiatry, psychology, sports psychology and I interfaces, of course, intersects with science because we see that it's not just subjective emotion, that there's very real things going on inside your brain when you start to change High, your internal dialogue and you start to change your expectations and start to change certain things about your life. So when you're talking to someone and saying, look, implementing positive things in your life, because there was other things I just want to mention that, that were really, really important for me to, 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 to be healthy. And it was My diet was very, very important. I realized that when I changed my diet to something that respected me as a human being, it respected my body, that instead of uh, because uh, a way of self harming myself was by starving myself or by eating junk uh, and having no respect for my body when I started to respect my body by eating properly um, it, it was an entire mindset change it wasn 't just i 'm going to do this i 'm going to do this um, so philosophy diet all these things were so important to um, to my rehabilitation if you like so when you 're talking to people about uh, things that they can do in their life obviously self-help is one of them but you also integrate things like spirituality or, or or do you integrate things like like buddhism or diet and other aspects
0: no because it's not my speciality this is this is the um the route that i've taken in terms of out of all of the options that i could have gone down i decided that the most enjoyable the most fascinating the most beneficial for me area that I want to focus on, which is why, you know, I think that I've read so many books in this subject. Mm -hmm. I've gone on so many courses. I've done my degree. I've done my master's. I wrote a book on it. I speak about It's because the psychology and mental performance aspect of my life is the most interesting part of what I do. Mm -hmm. So my understanding of, of nutrition and how that affects performance, of course, from, almost the residual knowledge I've had from 20 years in a, in a professional sport environment. I have a good understanding of it, but I haven't studied it. Sure. You know, I haven't written any books about it. I don't, I, I'm an Irish Catholic and, you know, and I've, I've been practicing Catholic for, for all my life and probably mm-hmm. one of the things that, that really helped me when I went from Belfast and leaving all my friends and family behind at 16 and then within the Sunday that I arrived there going to mass because I'm thinking, well, that's just what you do on a Sunday because that's right. what's happening. And then I've gone all the way through my, my life doing it because it's right. just something I've never changed. But again, it's not something that I'm an expert in. It's just something that I do or practice. Same mm-hmm. as like the yoga, same as all these different areas. So right. I don't think that I could ever um, teach somebody or apply these things to the level that I can around the psychology and mental performance aspect because that's the area that I feel most comfortable in. It's Mm -hmm. the area that I'm most knowledgeable about. And I know from my own life of how much it's helped me, which is why, okay, it might be a niche that I'm talking about just this tiny little thing, which is around mental performance. Because as you just said, there's so many other factors that impact
1: performance. Of course.
0: But I am not going to try and share that knowledge with people because I'm just going to stick to my niche because my niche still has just, an incredible, um, incredible amount of potential in it because I still think that it's the one area that is truly left to be explored. It's almost like mm-hmm. the sort of the final frontier to be explored because when you talk about athleticism, when you talk about, you know, technical ability and all the coaching and everything that's applied in sport and, of course, all the things that people are doing in business are just these concepts that have been taken from sport and they're now doing it in, you know, doing it in, in the business world. And so all I'm doing is just trying to take what I know from sport and apply it to the business and go, this has helped me. And this helps people at the highest end of the most competitive industry on the planet. So let me see if I can help you with
1: it. I did. It, it, it truly fascinated me because I spend a lot of time talking to boxers and I'm fascinated about what happens because they'll tell you boxing's maybe 70, 80% mental. And when you get into a ring and I almost believe it's a metaphorical of life that, um, you find out so much about yourself, about your, your image of yourself, your belief of yourself, every doubt, every insecurity will surface in a ring. And I think, like you said, it's metaphorical of life. You go through different aspects of life and you will get exposed to certain things that will um, also expose everything, every, every, every insecurity and what have you. And, um, I've, I've found that, um, what's physical, Preparation is obviously really, really important. D- diet, nutrition, everything. Um, that is an exact science. We know how to do that. But psych- yeah. you know, psychology is not. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, for me would have been Cristiano Ronaldo, whether he went to Manchester United or whether he played for Oliver Plunkett because he had the yeah. mindset of I am going to be great, I am going yeah. to be great, I am going to be great. And once you get to a professional level and, and many, whatever your, 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 your profession is, so much of it is down to you, whether you succeed or fail or not, everything is available to you. If you don't utilize them, you don't succeed. If you do, you more often than not will. So um, while there's so many aspects of this, I would love to uh, explore more with you. I'm, I'm, I'm launching a new channel, BTP Health and Wellness, where we really get into uh, the mental side of things. We're talking to a lo- number of different doctors across many different disciplines. Um, this is dovetailing perfectly with what we're doing. There's so many people out there that need stuff like this, not just for, for, for performance ways, but for happiness in their own life. And, um, this, I guess, as we said in the, in the opening monologue of this, the transcend sport, um, like I said, it is absolutely magnificent to see you doing so well, man, at carve out what is a very, very difficult career. Uh, takes you. a lot of takes a lot of balls to stand up and talk to people. A lot of professionals, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I, I I commend you immensely for that, but not just for, um, for 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 what you can for what you achieve for people on the professional side, but in the personal side, so we can see a much happier, fairer world where, uh, you know, where where, where people are, fortunately alleviating mental illness symptoms and what have you. Uh, it's so much of what you do. Listen to that mate thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and uh i wish you nothing but the best and i'd really genuinely love to get you back sometime
0: yeah listen it's it's been a pleasure it's been how long have we been planning on trying to do this i know almost year years hasn't it but uh listen i I, i've been great speaking to you i'm I'm gonna be out in la in the next in the next six months or so so definitely i'll definitely come and see you and hopefully do something with you out there um but yeah just keep up the good work mate because you're the exact same it's it's the fact that probably coming from Belfast, there is so much potential around this whole area, this mm-hmm. whole island, that it's just untapped. And I think the only thing that's going to help it is just seeing people like yourself out there going, hold on, that guy's over there doing that there. Yes. And, that's, and just to finish off this story of Jürgen Glinsman, just I know gonna, we're about to go. Take but your time. The whole reason why I think I ended up getting in the first game is because on my first day of training with Tottenham Hotspur, I thought, there is no way in the world I will ever be a professional footballer or a first team player at Spurs because Jordan Klinsman is the benchmark of what you need to be. And I'm never going to get there. Mm-hmm. And over the next couple of years, I played with a guy called Rory Allen who mm-hmm. came through the youth oh, team yes. with me. Sure. And Rory was the first one from get from the youth team and the reserves. And then fortunately I scraped in the professional contract on 11,000 pounds a year, 200 pounds a week. And then after Rory Allen went from the reserves and made his debut against that incredible team of Manchester United in the mm-hmm. late 90s with Beckham and Giggs and mm-hmm. Scholes and Keane and all the rest of them. And whenever I saw him play against Manchester United live on Sky Sports under the lights of White Hart Lane and score on his Premier League debut, mm-hmm. it was like a little flick went off in my brain. And the switch was, if he can do that, then so can I. Yes. And that belief yep. of what he gave me within three months, I made my Premier League debut and scored
1: you know, everyone everyone loves football around the world. It's the most popular sport in the world. And I know you say technically you weren't the best, but I know to get to England, first of all, you have to be exceptional. I know how competitive it is through the different youth levels I've played in them. And uh, it was my dream to be a footballer. I wasn't good enough. I played football every single day of my life. You know, I played for St. Andrews back home and I I got close to getting trials and all that. But the next level up and the level above that and the level above that, I know how good you have to be. So you should, first of all, commend yourself that you've done something that less than 0.1% of the population around the world will ever get to do and play professional football at the very highest level. Um, And regardless, we're always proud of... Um, Like you say, people that come from the same background that we come from that reach professional levels of success, because you can see yourself in that, and that is very, very important. Whether you're Irish, English, black, white, doesn't matter. It's very, very important you see people that look just like you achieving success, um, so that it's intimate to you, so that uh, it gives you belief that you can accomplish it. So from that perspective, you're an inspiration to so many people, Paul. Uh, I feel privileged that I get the chance to speak to you because of what you've accomplished in your life, both uh, personal and professional. Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to do this. And I, there's so many topics here. I'd really love to sharpen the pencil on and, and get down and deep down and talk to them a bit more, extrapolate them a little bit more. And hopefully we can do that in the future on this channel. And, uh, because I think it will provide very, a lot of net benefit to people in their lives and, um, I think mean, it's, it's brilliant to see people like yourself out doing it. And hopefully it inspires others that don't just sit and bathe in your success and hope to get a punditry job somewhere. You know, your, your life's just starting and uh, it's good to see you out doing it, mate. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Pleasure. Pleasure, mate. Cheers, Paul. All the best, man. Good luck, everything.